Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 95 of The Morning After. We are getting up there. It is almost 100, and I can't wait for that. I'm Jesse Kiefer. Uh, my co-host, Sari Kamen, is actually in San Diego getting some sun and making all of us here in the polar vortex very, very jealous. But I have some people in studio today, and uh, it's really my, my personal team. Um, everyone out there in the world should have their personal team. Um, sitting across from me, my logistical supervisor, Aaron Sylvester. Hello, Jesse. Across also from me... My life coach, William Trance Pepper. Good afternoon. And my communications director, Brian Block. What? <laughs> Great communication. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, they're here. They're my support. They're my lifeblood. And I would not be able to speak to you millions of listeners um, without without them on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, but also, we do have a guest. Um, he is not in studio. He is calling us from the far reaches of the universe, uh, Mr. Brad Gruno of Brad's Raw Foods. Um, he was an unhealthy uh, corporate guy, high cholesterol, uh, and he quit that life and started to uh, live the life uh, of the raw food movement and has actually uh, been able to be a huge force and uh, created his own business called Brad's, Brad's Raw Food. So we're going to talk to him about um, uh, his story and uh, how his life did, life has changed since he started dehydrating some uh, some kale chips. But Brian Block has been on the show before. Um, he is actually who I, I owe the credit of um, what's on the menu at Chardonnay's. He is... Is truly the uh, the person who brought that to my attention many many years ago, and uh, we still have not gone to the actual restaurant Chardonnays because there is one in like Connecticut. I still think that there's got to be more than that one. It's in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. There's got to be more than one. I mean, Chardonnays itself is it's, a chain. It's too good an idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I you know I owe him a lot. I owe him my fame and what's on the menu at Chardonnays. To Brian Block, but um, I've asked him here because he is one of my favorite storytellers. He, Brian, your communication, you're my communications director, so you'll go on and on and what? tell me the best, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but truly, tell the best stories. And and like many of the people who are involved in the show, he's worked in the restaurant industry for for many moons, and he's actually living his dream uh, out in Nicaragua right now as the uh, the general manager um, of. La Finca y el Mar at Rancho Santana. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, where he gets a tan on a daily basis. Kind right? of. And you learned some Spanish, too. Mahomeno. Oh, okay. There, oh, whoa. He's kind of got like a Nicaraguan accent on there as well. But as one of my favorite storytellers, I've asked him here for one of our favorite segments, Front of House. It's your favorite story. It's front of house. It's a of house. Thank you, Joe, King of Engineers. <laughs> now I feel like I've been told I can tell a good story, and there's a song leading up to this. There's a <laughs> lot of pressure in this moment. Uh, so for my front of house story, 
I'm going to go all the way back to my first restaurant job I ever had, which was in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I just turned 15 years old and uh, used my mom's advice of just lie and say that you had a job before to get the job as a busboy at an oyster place. Yes, an oyster place in St. Louis, Missouri. It's definitely a good start for a career in restaurants. Uh, I'd been there for a few months, long enough to prove that I was a really terrible busboy. Uh, And it was the day before the 4th of July, i.e. the 3rd of July. And uh, I'd had my first taste of what everyone calling out sick for a holiday was, a lesson that I have pulled more than once or twice in the years afterwards. I was only a busboy, or I was the only busboy for a 120-seat restaurant at a place featuring crabs and lobsters and oysters, i.e. a lot of table waste and thus table clearing. Of course, this ended up being one of the busiest nights I'd ever experienced. Quickly, some smart waiter who must have had this happen to him a bunch of times at the shit show of a restaurant declared the night's plan. We put large trays on tray stands. Yes, it was that kind of a place. And everybody would get, uh, would bus all of their stuff to that. And then I would circle the room, clearing the full trays. With the sheer volume of shells and napkins and small clam chowder soups, a uh, tray would easily fill within five minutes and would be pretty damn heavy. Rinse and repeat for about five hours. By the end of the night, I'd finally experienced the evening of real, honest, really crappy work. I was wiped out, as were all the servers, who had to cut the paper from the roll that you covered the table, because it was that kind of a restaurant, too. Um, The manager pulled everyone together and uh, thanked everyone for showing up and for hanging in, and then said, everyone deserved a free drink. Then after saying this, he looks over at me and says, well, except for you, Brian. Sorry, you're just too young. I was really just about to wait for my dad for 15 minutes for a ride home and hadn't considered the possibility of drinking at work that night, so I wasn't really upset at being denied a drink. But a server came up to me and said, oh, that sucks, they won't get you a drink, dude. I'll get you one. What do you want? And I asked what had the most alcohol in it. And he replied, uh, Long Island iced tea. I said, great. So he handed me a re- one of those huge like Gibraltar glasses that have the crushed ice, full of Long Island iced tea, and I slammed it in like three seconds. And then about a minute later, another server came up to me and said, you know, screw them, Brian. I'll get you a drink. What do you want? I said, Long Island iced tea, please. (laughs) At this point, I got more brave and simply just went up to another server and said, hey, any way you could get me a Long Island iced tea for my third giant booze and sugar bucket within less than 10 minutes? By the time my dad arrived five minutes later, I was definitely feeling it. Uh, As I got in the car with a mouthful of vending machine chiclets, because it was that kind of a restaurant, too, (laughs) immediately my dad asked, have you been drinking? God only knows what signs I had been giving to demonstrate that I was clearly drunk, but uh, I looked at him, and he said, they gave me a drink or two. And then he paused and kind of laughed and uh, said something about it being good that I'm learning real work or something, and I'm still not sure if he meant the bussing tables that night or getting drunk. But that was my first time getting drunk at a restaurant, (laughs) at my first restaurant job. Will, did you have a a first time getting drunk at the restaurant kind of story? Oh, man. Um... No, not really. It's funny. I didn't. I didn't drink a whole lot when, because uh, I grew up. My mom was a chef, and I grew up doing restaurant work. I do remember uh, sneaking box chablis, mm. uh, pro- you know, proper chablis, uh, at a wedding when I was like six, and my mom not giving a fuck. And uh, you know, I thought that was. I remember I was getting some weird looks. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It seems pretty normal. Aaron, I'd ask you, but. It- I don't think you would ever do that. I'm a logistical supervisor. I did not drink at work. <laughs> you had to be too in charge. <laughs> well, along the lines of the uh, the box chablis, uh, we're going to have a little segment uh, after our interview with Brad uh, that I like to call <laughs> Psalm. 
Everyone in this room um, has worked in uh, the wine industry in one way or another, and um, I have uh, a little top ten list from, uh, from one of my favorite people in the industry who will remain anonymous, but it is the top ten ways to convince others that you are a som sommelier wine person. So look forward to that uh, at the end of the show. We're going to take a break here on the morning after. We're going to come back with Brad Gruno of Brad's Raw Foods. This is the morning after. You are listening to Cool Boy by Sleepies on the Heritage Radio Network.org. original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet designed to purify and detoxify blueprint cleanse is made from the freshest 100% raw and usda certified organic ingredients cold pressed to retain nutrients and flavor blueprint also offers a line of organic juices cold pressed and raw in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations and available in individual bottles Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S. To learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at Blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard. Cleanse, repeat. And we're back here on the morning after. He went from an overweight, overworked, high cholesterol lifestyle to a healthy and hugely successful entrepreneur in the raw food movement. Founder of Brad's Raw Foods, Brad Gruno. Are you there, Brad? Yes, I am. Thank you very much for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, welcome to the morning after. Um, yeah, so, thanks. So I've been able to, you know, to read up on on how you kind of started to to get into the raw food movement, and you moved back home to Pennsylvania and I have to say I have family in Pennsylvania and all we ever eat is pork roll so I'm not <laughs> entirely sure um, how you how you how did you get into the food movement in uh, raw food movement in, in Pennsylvania well I, I kind of started to uh, I have a very large family here I have 27 cousins a bunch of aunts and uncles and one um, aunt of mine was uh, she, there's a, a local raw food restaurant local to us, and she went there and got on a program. They taught her how to make a lot of food, just 
because she wanted to lose weight. And uh, she went to several classes. So she wanted to experiment on us, you know, and I never even heard of raw food at this point. And um, she made like a five-course meal, you know, out of all raw foods. And she had, you know, mocked up spaghetti that I, looked like spaghetti, but it wasn't. It was vegetables. And, but that's how I got introduced to it. And then, you know, this one restaurant that she went to, um, I kind of just went over there and got into it and it was just kind of just something so new to me. And I just started to read some books and listen to some discs about eating. And I don't know, just something kind of hit me in a big way about how, where we're going in this country right now. Just, um, you know, everybody, the overweight, the diabetes, just everything. And it's just something I just kind of grabbed on and dove into it with both feet. Were you initially skeptical? Of, of the restaurant that you were going to? Oh, at first, totally. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, I was skeptical. Just thinking about eating raw foods, it didn't even make sense in my head. It's just we never got taught like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it did. It took a while. It just took a lot of little books to read. And just and, and after reading and, and hearing about so many other people, I got involved in so many other people that, you know, cured so many illnesses from eating raw food. And it just, it just, once it kind of sunk in, I think, and just eating more raw foods where it's living and living enzymes and digestion and just things started to make sense after a while. It's not like I ever studied it or anything, mm-hmm. but um, I was definitely skeptical at first until just talking to so many people in the restaurant. I think that's what really helped me in reading a lot of little books. What are the, uh, the basic rules for a raw food diet? Well, it's a plant-based, um, it's all just nothing but fruits, vegetables, seeds, and nuts. So you can sprout seeds, and a lot of sprouts are so good for you. So you get nuts, you get a lot of pro-protein from your, from your nuts. And um, so it's just fruits, vegetables, seeds, and nuts. And it's, just to make it clear, it's something that I don't do 100%. I actually did do it 100% for the first year I got into it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what really changed my life. I think that for the first three months that I went from eating cooked, processed foods and meats, and I weaned myself off for a couple of weeks and then dove into it 100%. And in the first three months, I lost 40 pounds. Oh, and I'm wow. telling you, I never, never felt so good in my entire life. I just, you know, the clarity where... You know, the first couple of weeks was tough because I was kind of detoxing my body. But after that, it just felt like, you know, my skin was clearing up. I lost 40 pounds. I had clarity. And it just, I, I just, I, I, you know, I was, um, I was 49 at the time. I, don't, I, I honestly, God, I don't think I ever felt so good in my life when I was on 100% raw foods, you know, which, believe me, is tough. I know it's tough. But uh, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Now, in in a raw food diet, is there any sort of cooking that you can do? Not if you're a 100% raw foodist, which I am not. I'm more like um, 80-20. I I just tend, I kind of make it easy. That's on my book. I came out with the book, Brad's Roll Made Easy. And And it's just about simple things like making green smoothies or something in the, in the morning, eating more salads, 
I eat all meals that I used to. I just don't eat them as often. I don't eat meat, but maybe once a month right now, um, where I used to eat it four or five times a week. Wow. So, again, it, for if you're an extreme raw foodist, and there's a lot of them out there, and I've been out there, I've met most of them, and I just think it's tough for America, and I'm not totally against it. I just think that we do need some other foods. I think, well, we lost it. We just don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. We kind of got away from all that. And that's where I kind of just help people is let's just start adding more fruits and vegetables into our diets and laying off all the processed foods. So when you got started on uh, Brad's Raw Chips, what was that process? I'm just imagining you with like a Ron Popeil food dehydrator and just like putting a bunch of spices in there and, and, and seeing what comes out. What, what, what was that process? Well, I did actually... You know, my business, I only started my business four years ago, but six years ago is when I actually went on a raw food diet and never thought about getting in this business at all. But I did. I had a, a dehydrator in my in my house, and I would actually grind up vegetables, and I, I would put some flax seeds in there and some buckwheat groats, and I'd grind all that up with it, and I'd spread it on a tray, and I'd dehydrate it, and I just made chicks for myself, which... Because once I was all raw and I was just eating salads and drinking green smoothies, I wasn't getting any type of a crunch, you know. So throughout the day, I would just munch on these chips. And that's seriously how this whole thing got started because I was never in the food industry. You know, I was in the underground construction fiber optic industry my whole life until that thing kind of crashed. And um, so I just ate raw, and then all of a sudden I started making these chips, and that's when I actually got into the business about four years ago. And just by making these, what I would call real vegetable chips, because it was real organic vegetables that I was grinding up and spreading on a tray. Do you feel like the the raw diet or the raw lifestyle is, is approachable for everyone? Because I know, uh, you know, I've seen Brad's raw chips all over the, the shelves at Whole Foods, which is fantastic. The price point is rather high, and I want to know if someone who, who maybe can't pay to have these kinds of snacks can can put this together with their own budget, with a with a low budget. They can, and just, you know, just to kind of explain, like, the high price point of these is, number one, you're using all real organic vegetables, and then number two, it's the weight of the vegetable when you dehydrate something. You're actually just taking the water out of it. So I'm not baking or frying. I'm just dehydrating. So we're taking all the water out of it, which most vegetables hold about 80% of its water. So when you're dehydrating and you're just getting all of the nutrients that it's just um, condensed down to this little part, you know. So anytime you get dehydrated food, like in a bag of kale chips, you know, it might be it might be the kale might be five, six times the size of that little uh, bag of kale that's in it. So it's so nutrient dense. And that's one of the reasons why the price is a little bit higher. Because you have to use more of the product. Yes. You're I, just taking all the weight out of it. So it's kind of, it's kind of deceiving. I, um, uh, I guess it was the, the first of the year. There was this, uh, opinion article in the New York times, uh, by this woman, Jennifer Berman, who, uh, was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism and she had been a, a staunch vegetarian and said she was into, you know, the, the vegetarian and eating healthy and not processed foods, uh, before anybody not using fluoride toothpaste and this and that. And, um, she, 
you know, that good diet of hers still couldn't help her from this hyperthyroidism, which there's been other articles since that have linked <laughs> cruciferous vegetables, kale, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, uh, to, to hypothyroidism. And I know that, that a raw diet is, is, you know, from what you're saying and many people say is a very beneficial, um, diet for your health. I just want to know your, your thoughts on, um, those kind of findings. Well, I think, you know, I actually did read a lot on, on that a little while bit. I heard about that. And I think, you know, as I was reading on, they were just saying for the condition they had, if anybody was drinking, there's, there's people now that this kale is so good for you to think get people drinking kale drinks every single day or every single meal. And I think it's just a, a matter of a balance. But I don't think when, you know, as I read on it, you know, if, if someone had a, 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 a you know, a glass of kale juice a day, that that wouldn't affect that. But I think it's everything in moderation. You know, just granted, everybody's, oh, the kale. So everybody jumps into the kale and they do it way too much. I, I think it's just the whole balance thing. I think, um, you know, I believe me, I'm far from a doctor, so I don't want to really make any statements at all. But I think it's, um, you know, I just don't know that much about that. Well, That's yeah, that whole situation. And my, I, I mean, I do agree. I think that is the conversation. Everything in moderation. Um, right. In in reading, you know, up on on raw diets. Uh, to me, as an outsider, it seems kind of like a lot of chewing and digestion, and not not a ton of satisfaction. Uh, how does how can you make the diet have staying power? Oh, I, I think if you actually um, if if you really learn more about the raw food, it's not like eating. Carrots. I think that's what a lot of people think about. There's, it's to me, it's just, it's uh, just they have such amazing meals. Once you really learn and get in, you know, into the whole raw food movement and really understand what you can do with food, it is so tasty. Um, it's really not true at all. I think it's just, it's just another world that we're not into, and that's where that's why I really wanted to get my book out there and tell people about the ways to make things easy, whether. You know, by just using a blender, I, I, I honestly think it's easier than cooking food, uh, preparing raw food today. Um, again, it just, it's learning something that we're just not used to. Um, and it takes, it, takes, it takes a little bit of time. I was uh, noticing that you have suggestions for, for certain cravings uh, that people uh, in a raw diet might have because sometimes you want hot food, sometimes you want warm food, sometimes you want crunch, sometimes you want sweet. Uh, what are some of those recipes that you have in the book? Uh, we have some amazing recipes. I think that one of the things that I just really <laughs> try to promote is is making uh, with leafy greens, whether it's kale or spinach, and it's using the blender a lot, where, you know, things are just so much easier with that. But just some, you know, there's some really fun things in there, too. It's not all about so much about the vegetables. It's about, you know, I was on a TV show the other day, and I actually made a uh, a moose pie, and you'd be surprised at what's really in there. It's like you know, we would just use cacao powder, and we'd use avocado as the filling, and you know, for people to try this stuff, it's just amazing how good it is. Um, but you know, just a lot of the cravings for warm things, you can warm things up in a blender, you know, and have warm soups. But I'm not against not eating good things. I just want to just get more, you know, uh, more raw food in people's diets. And I'm not saying where they could not eat something totally. But um, no, I a mean, lot, a lot of good recipes in there. 
No, I, I absolutely agree. I think everyone needs to eat more raw vegetables. Um, but I really do want to know what you miss about mainstream eating. Like that one junk food, that one guilty pleasure that, that you think about. Um, I guess for me, one of the hardest things for me when I was 100% raw to really give things up was probably giving up meat at first. I really did crave that. I almost felt like it was, and I really think our body do get addicted. They get used to these things. And just when I was going 100% raw and I was really staying away from everything, you know, the craving was the meat, I think. And that left me after a while, though. Um, but I actually think it's good to eat it. You know, if you're going to eat a piece of meat, good grass-fed beef, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just the amount of what people eat today. So I think I kind of treat myself like once a month or something to have a good steak. I, I mean, I think there's been a lot of talk about what is the right diet. And on this show, we've definitely talked about the paleo diet. Um, and do you feel like a strict diet is, is for everything? I, mean, I, I actually am noticing what you're talking about is saying that you do eat a little bit of meat every once in a while. Do you feel like that is because your body needs that? Or, um, or do you think someone can truly cut meat completely out of their diet? I think they can truly cut meat out of their diet. I do believe that. Um, and then, you know, but to me, there's nothing wrong with it. It's kind of like the raw food diet. is almost like the paleo diet in a way, but they do some cooking of some food. And that's pretty much the way I eat. It's just, I think when you go to Americans, because they get so addicted to all these foods, if you try to take something away from somebody, they don't, they don't really like it. It's like, you know, staying to a strict diet. But if you could... You know, it's just about adding more food. It's about adding more fruits and vegetables. It's almost eat everything you have eaten, but just add more fruits and vegetables. It seems like people can bite that off a little bit more because it's not a diet. I'm not taking anything away. You know, it's, that's what's so neat about eating like this. No, I think that's a really good approach because when you say you can't have something, that's all you want. Really. Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm like that myself. So what is, uh, what is next for, uh, for Brad's Raw Foods? I know you have the book out um, and all the snacks. What else is going on? Well, I think, you know, we've, it's, been a, it's been a hard, long four years. And, um, you know, we've become a, a national brand in four years. And between that and hiring so many people and, and, and getting the book finally out, which we've been working on that with Random House for a year and a half, I think now is what we're going to really do is try to, you know, we're, we're adding a R&D group and we're really trying to come up with some really good, flavorful, new vegetable snacks and other lines um, within our brand and just coming up with some really, really good tasting, healthy alternative for snacks, you know. So we're just going to really expand our brand. That sounds like a good plan. Brad, yeah. what's your website? It is bradrawfoods.com. And where and can... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, most of our products, again, uh, this is the New York area. So most of, you know, all your whole foods, all your health, all your health food stores, we have all of our products. And um, we also, if you're not near a store that has our products, we can just go to our website and uh, we have all of our products right on our website. And where can we get the book, Brad's Raw Made Easy? Yeah, just, um, again, go right to the website. We sell it right on our website. Um, hopefully it's going to be in a lot of stores here very soon. Um, but Amazon's 
go to our website, um, try some snacks, and pick up the book and all one little savings right there with the freight probably. Well, Brad Grineau, thank you so much for joining us on the morning after. I'm going to have to go have like a, a kale smoothie right now. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Happy New Year. Okay. Happy New Year, too. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break here on the morning after, and we're going to come back with some, 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 some. You are listening to Weird Wild World by Sleepies on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. back here on the morning after a dear friend of mine uh just recently moved to los angeles where he is uh has gotten a job as an assistant psalm but he has never taken the courses to become a psalm and uh so he reached out to some of his friends in the wine industry who also aren't necessarily psalms but play one on tv and uh, a good friend of mine who works at a really prominent restaurant here in New York City wrote back an amazing top 10. Um, so I'd like to read that top 10 to convince others that you are a psalm sommelier wine person in this new segment called Psalm. Psalm, 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 psalm. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Starting with number one. You once really loved... Oki Cabernet from Chile. So don't forget about people who still love that shit. Number two, you're not a douche, so don't become one with your new title. Number three, you don't need to use a fancy wine key to be legit. Number four, wear a pin. It could be of anything. People will think you are really important. Number five, always reference the Kardashian sisters when describing the difference between German, Austrian, and Alsatian Riesling. Number six, if they ask you if you are a psalm, I'm sorry, a master psalm, say you are a master of many things, then walk away slowly without breaking eye contact, all the while licking your lips. Number seven, tell everyone Paul Grigio is your mentor. Number eight, if you don't know the blend, just say, it's indigenous. Number nine, tell everyone you are a super taster. And number ten, if you break the cork, tell them it's the kitchen's fault. That has been Psalm. Psalm, 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 Psalm. 
I wanted to hear that again. Um, everyone in this room right now has, like I said earlier, had their hand in, in the, uh, the wine industry, and none of us are certified sommeliers, but I guarantee you that we have all been called sommeliers at one point. Anyone, anyone want to jut in first? Well, now I just want to sing that song before <laughs> anything I say, and clearly they will then think, oh, well, he's a song. Yeah, duh, absolutely. Will? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm maybe more, more used to working in, in more casual wine scenarios. So it's really interesting. You know, people will say, oh, are you, are you a sommelier? And, you know, uh, no, no, I'm not. I, I don't, but, but I can help you. Or, uh, you know, I actually, it's really weird at the wine bar that you and I currently work at. Uh, a lot of times people ask if I'm the owner. So it really is about how you hold yourself and uh you know it's it's pressed to digitation you just pull out a dove every once in a while <laughs> and uh you know don't let them see what the other hand's doing Aaron you were you were at a, a very high end restaurant um for many years how did you approach the uh, are you the som or oh yeah i have a lot of experience in this situation um from going from you know feeling like I didn't know enough. And as I always said, uh, oh God, I have to play sommelier on the floor tonight. Um, on those nights, of course, I would wear my nicest suit and my flashiest shoes uh, to garner any <laughs> sort of respect that I could. Um, and then to the point where I had taken you know, enough wine classes and passed advanced certification. And, you know, I gotta say, like, guests didn't necessarily change as my knowledge base changed. Um, I feel like I was still treated the same, which is a combination of, you know, some people uh, immediately giving you recognition when you walk over in a suit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were nights where I would have to be a server on the floor, but this is after I'd already passed advanced certification. So, Then, because I'm in the server uniform, I wasn't trusted at all because of what I was wearing. And then third, regardless of all of that, you know, in the nicest suit with the uh, flashiest shoes, you know, go patent leather. Um, (laughs) They, you know, I think sometimes being a woman, it was really hard. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Oh, no, they would look, you know, at me with a, a giant question mark wondering if I was going to be capable of answering their questions. And the fact of the matter is it, it wasn't a huge list. I mean, it was a big list, but it wasn't huge. And I, I knew the wines completely and I knew, you know, it, it just wasn't a problem to navigate that list. So kind it's of, been a lot of different experiences with that. Yeah. It's, it's funny too, depending on the size of your list and how long you've worked there when people, it, it always amazes me how they can be shocked that you would know anything about the list. If you're not, in the suit if you're not you know um so how do you know all this well it's our job we are paid you know well i would i would always say uh it's anything that a or it's everything that you'd expect a blank to be that was (laughs) exactly the the (laughs) description of almost every wine on there like oh how is this how is this uh rioja well it's everything a tempranillo should be i mean it's a very classic (laughs) so it would either be that or uh, uh there was at least one other total well geography I think that you don't have to talk about the wine at all if you can just kind of get them trapped into like describing a river 
It doesn't even have to come from a river. Like, they probably don't sure. know that. And just describe what rivers look like. <laughs> and after a couple of minutes, they'll be like, yeah, I'll take that one. Mm-hmm. I often, I often, I feel like I say, well, you know, southern France is warm. So <laughs> this is going to be ripe. Or, I don't know. With, you know I mean, and I, that works. Yeah. And that works somehow. It's, it's rough when you're wrong. I mean, <laughs> you're clearly not wrong at all, ever. Well, also, when in doubt, but, you can always do the... Uh, you know, you know, I I've got something for you. I've got something for you. Yep, yep. And then just yeah. walk away yeah. and bring them a bottle of wine. You know, after of course knowing their price point and expectations, and yeah. um, and then really the wine shows itself. Uh, you know, they know when they taste it whether it was the right one for them or not. I usually like to start off with a trust exercise. Yeah, exactly. Let them fall, fall into my arms. <laughs> See how I've goes. seen it happen, folks. I promise. I just punish them if they don't like what I bring them. <laughs> Once I've sabered their Diet Coke open, then they trust me with all of the wine decisions from that point on. That's amazing. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I mean, I think that, you know, working in the wine industry, there's this kind of elevated idea of of education. And really, it just takes a lot of drinking. Well, actually, it's funny because now living in Nicaragua and uh, dealing with wine there there you don't get wine so i we're kind of on the end of the cycle of wine where it's like you know huge houses that are just big corporate that you know you can sell for like six dollars at like the grocery store kind of a thing um when those haven't sold then they get sent to nicaragua and then they become like the nice thing that you just got is like it's not incredibly old or like you know Theoretically, it has less damage from being in like 110 degree rooms for weeks at a time kind of a thing. And that then it's really just do you have Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc or Malbec or Cabernet Sauvignon? That's really my job is to have those four things. And do you feel like because of your geographical restrictions, you can't say, oh, we have this fantastic Gruner Vettliner instead of yourself. You definitely can't say that, but we do actually, we imported two wines specifically from the north of Argentina. So like, it might not be like the most exciting thing, but it actually, we are the only place in Central America that sells it. So that's like one of the actual legitimate things I can tell you. Like, that is true. And that (laughs) is a better reason to get this one than something else. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I think... Oh, and looking for rosés, I tasted a bunch, and I picked the one that was probably, like, the sweetest rosé, and that it was, I think I realized because it's so hot, and because the climate is what it is, that you don't want the same thing, because there were other, like, rosés I would have assumed I wanted more, but in the, I don't know, sitting in that heat, it was, like, much more refreshing to drink that. Mm-hmm. So I think that, actually, if you go to a super different climate, you kind of might want something a little different, not necessarily the $5 jumbo corporate chardonnay but maybe i just really love a malbec in the heat (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i I think it's a good conversation to have because personally i you know have never gone to take classes um about wine and i i think it's a great thing to do and i think if if you want that then do it but i also think that that people should know that learning about wine can be something that's done on on your own um and that's kind of the, the point of the, the segment of mm-hmm. Psalm because you can uh, play a really good one on TV with these 10, uh, 10 ideas. Thank you all for being here. My uh, logistical supervisor, Aaron Sylvester, my life coach, William Trance Pepper, and uh, my communications director, Brian Block. What? <laughs> this is the morning after on Heritage Radio Network.org. Mm-hmm.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.